you know, we say to people that, you know, you should have more faith, you know, read this scripture. But you wouldn't say, you wouldn't walk up to somebody wearing glasses and say, where's your faith? You know, you wouldn't say to a child who'd just fallen out of a tree and broken their leg, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You would get help where help is needed. And I just think we need more education to understand that it's not a lack of spirituality, it's a lack of proper chemicals in our brain. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 56. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current healthcare, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com uhsm.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you're spending your time here with us today. We are coming back from a summer break, which was so needed, right? Talk about taking care of our mental health. We want to practice what we preach. And that also included taking a little break ourselves. But we are ready to hop right back into this. We have some incredible guests with some incredible stories and insights. And today we're talking about holding on when you want to let go. Now, in an effort to combat the stigma associated with mental health and connect with the millions who struggle worldwide, today's guest, Sheila Walsh, honestly shares her journey with clinical depression, hospitalization, and the practical strategies and steps that have helped her sustain her on her journey to keep holding on. For those of you who aren't familiar, Sheila grew up in Scotland and has spoken to millions of women around the world. She's written more than 30 books that have sold over 6 million copies and is the co-host of the international television program Life Today with over 100 million viewers daily. Sheila lives in Dallas with her husband Barry, her son Christian, and two dogs Tink and Maggie. Guys, this is such an incredible conversation on being in the public eye of ministry while deeply struggling with a mental health condition and surrendering all the pieces to God to walk in healing and really how God can use anyone. And we need more vulnerable and honest conversations like this. So without further ado, I can't wait to share today's episode with you. So let's dive in. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. You know, I am super excited as we are diving into our fall season. Um, We're back from a summer break and we're continuing the conversation. And I have a super special guest today who has an incredible story that I think that 
many of us would relate to in some capacity. Um, I have Sheila Walsh. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Sheila, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. And I'm, I'm really thrilled to be with you, Brittany, because I, I love the fact that you're having this ongoing, open, transparent, informative conversation about faith and mental health, which is something that um, many years ago, when I first began to struggle with my own mental illness, there was almost no help available at all. Right. It just wasn't really talked about. And that's why I appreciate your story so much and that you've written so vulnerably about this. Um, you know, you, you just wrote your latest book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go. Um, and I really just want to dive into that. For those who aren't familiar, can you just give us a little bit of background about yourself and the work that you do? Sure, yeah. Um, you could probably tell by my accent, although I live in Texas now, I didn't start there. I was born in Scotland. And um, it's a culture there where it's quite conservative. And particularly anything to do with any kind of mental illness would just simply not be talked about. There was very few resources. And so when I was five years old and my father had a massive cerebral hemorrhage, which impacted his personality, he ultimately became... Um, quite violent and had tried to attack me before he was taken off to a psychiatric hospital where he eventually escaped and committed suicide. And it was just back then we didn't talk about it. It was almost as if my father had never existed. We just kind of carried on and which left me with all these unresolved questions. You know, what did my dad see in me that was so terrible? You know, why did my dad seem to hate me when he'd once loved me? And when I became a Christian, when I was 11 years old, I remember being told that not only was Christ my savior, but I had a heavenly father watching over me. And I remember thinking then, I've got one more chance to get it right. Whatever my earthly father saw that made him turn against me, I didn't want that to happen with God. So I was determined to be the perfect Christian. Went off to seminary, worked with Billy Graham, ended up hosting a program called the 700 Club on the Christian Broadcasting Network for five years. But inside, I was the same scared little broken girl who wouldn't let anybody get close to her in case she saw whatever my father saw. But one day, and I really think this is the mercy of God. You know, I think we think that mercy means that everything will go well. The son is mercy is a severe thing, but it brings what we've been longing for. I kind of fell apart one day on live national television. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital, same age as my father. But the very thing that I dreaded became the thing that I had actually longed for all my life, which was a relationship with Jesus based on nothing I brought to the table, you know, finished, based on the finished work of Christ. And honestly, Brittany, I thought it was only my story. I didn't know anybody back then who struggled with anything like that. And I never really intended to talk about it, but I began to realize that there were so many other people struggling so I've made that part of my ongoing life to be able to share with people, let them know it's okay not to be okay and you're not alone. Yeah, wow, so much, so much being said, said there. And so I, I just kind of wanna unpack this here. So, okay, you've been sharing more about your experience with clinical depression. And like you said, it just, years ago, it just was not talked about. I mean, I, I remember just serving in the church in a ministry and, 
you know, there were so many people struggling with mental health challenges, but it just was not talked about. And that's what led me to have this conversation to go back to school and all of that. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, was it that breakdown that led you to start talking about uh, clinical depression and mental health? Or did it take a while after that to make that a part of the conversation? Um, when did you have like this realization? It was actually a couple of things. Uh, <clears throat> when I, after I was in the hospital for a month and then um, I was invited to go back on the program one last time and just thank people who'd been praying for me. And the production crew said that morning, I don't think you should tell people you've been in a psych hospital. Right. Tell them that you just needed some rest and relaxation. And now you, I was actually going back to seminary. And I said, you know, but not telling the truth is what ended me up in, in a hard place. And so they basically were like, Sheila's will not go well for you, but if you, that's what you want. In the next 10 days, I had over 5,000 letters from people saying, me too. I've never heard anybody tell my story out loud before. But it was an email from one pastor that kind of changed the tra trajectory of where I was going. He sent me a message and he said, um, you're coming to our town and all the women in our church are coming to hear you speak. Mm -hmm. But my wife is not because she struggles with depression and she's on medication and no one in the church knows. And she thinks it would harm my ministry. Is there any way you would meet with her privately? And I said, absolutely. So she came to my hotel and at first she wouldn't even make eye contact with me. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to her, you know, you don't have to tell me anything about your life. But if you don't mind, would you let me share something from mine? And I just told her my story. And at the end, we were both on our knees, um, just with tears rolling down our face, but just at the throne of grace and mercy. And I'll never forget her running out of my room into the arms of her husband and thinking, Lord, I would go through that whole thing again, just for that one woman. But it just made me realize that every single one of us is entrusted with some kind of brokenness. And what will we do with it? You know, some people um, go through the unthinkable, the loss of a child. I can't imagine that. What do you do with that brokenness? Some people face, you know, an unwanted divorce. There's always, none of us get through this life without being broken in one way or another. And so what I determined to do was to give God all the broken pieces and see what he would do with it. And so that's my passion to this day is just to say to others who are struggling, with mental illness because sometimes you know i now work with a tv show called live today mm -hmm. and sometimes people will see that and i get notes saying how long did it take for them to fix you and i'm like well right. I'll, I'll write back if they ever do <laughs> but it's like you know understanding mental illness is not curable but it's treatable and there's wonderful help available and it's manageable and yeah you know, it just I, there's this verse in psalms that i love and it says you know the david says you know the lord has seen every single one of your days before a single day is passed you know he is not surprised by yeah. you know it might be surprising or jarring to you that you now mm -hmm. have this realization that you're struggling with depression or anxiety or schizophrenia or whatever the diagnosis right. might be. Um, but it's not a surprise to him. Yeah. But then there is this other question that some might ask, you know, why are there so many people who know and love God that are hurting and struggling? You know, um, and I think that's a big question. It's a great question. And it's one that if we're not asking, we're a little out of touch with what's going on in people's lives. Mm -hmm. I actually found myself, I mean, I, my depression was fairly well managed. I knew, you know, I take my medication every day. I try to eat fairly well. I get 
a little bit of exercise, not too much. Yeah. But when, when COVID hit and suddenly the doors were closed, because I'm used to being out, you know, 30 weekends a year speaking. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how much, how much I received from that myself. But suddenly I'm just home. And I found myself after a few weeks spiraling again. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised by the kind of level of despair I felt. I would wake up in the morning with just this feeling of dread. And so I just began asking the Holy Spirit, how do I live in days like these? I know how to live when things were the normal we used to know, but how do I live in these days? And and that's why I actually wrote the book, Holding On When You Want to Let Go, because I'd started a different book. I'd started to write a book on miracles, and I was a few chapters in. But when I found myself really spiraling and I read what I wrote, I thought, this is not helping me. And if it's not helping me, there's a really good chance it's not going to help you either. So I started just writing this, um, what God was teaching me. Mm. And like there's a, a guy in the fourth century, his name was Athanasius. And he wrote that whereas most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. Mm. They give us language for our struggle. Yes. So I began going out on the little balcony of our townhome every day. And I read three Psalms out loud because it's good for my ears to hear what my eyes are reading. And it's like a declaration of this is what's true, no matter what seems to be true or feels to be true at the moment. But I think one of the things that became really highlighted by COVID is loneliness. People felt cut off, alone, anxious. And when I go right back to the beginning of God's word, and I look at this amazing world that God created, and then he makes Adam, and he fellowships with Adam. Adam is living in a perfect world. And God looked at this and that and that said, it's good, it's good, it's good. The only thing he said is not good was that man should be alone. And so that's when Eve was created. And I think that God has known that that is wrapped into our DNA, that it's not good for us to be alone. And I think a lot of people are struggling because they feel cut off. They feel isolated. But also, I think another thing is sometimes we're scared to speak what's true about us, you know, because we wonder how people will, will respond. I think it's the greatest desire of every human being to be fully known and fully loved. But because we're so afraid that if we're fully known, we won't be fully loved that we trade away being known. And I think that leads to a lot of anxiety and fear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially in today's day and age with like social media and everything and um, needing to appear to be the expert on all things or maybe have it together. And, And yeah, like you said, we trade off being fully known. Like, of course, we don't not every single person across social media needs to know every single thing about us. No. Um, but we do rob ourselves of the experience of feeling the love and support that God has mm-hmm. destined for us to have. Um, and I wanted to go back to something else that you mentioned. You said that when you were hospitalized, you didn't know a single other Christian that was struggling with depression or mental health, which is so wild because we know that, you know, one in four people are experiencing a mental health condition within a given year. We know they're in the pews. You know, we know the statistics that 59% of pastors have counseled someone who went on to receive an acute diagnosis. It's there, you know, people go to the church before they go to mental health professionals. Research for over 20 years has shown that. So 
there is this gap and you know i'm wondering in what areas do you see room for improvement within faith culture within the faith community within the church given your experience today's episode is sponsored by better help Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing, but I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, that's a great question. And I see a lot of places where there's room for improvement. When I go back to when I was hospitalized in 1992, back then, one of our senior staff at the Christian Broadcasting Network, when he knew that I was about to get in my car and drive myself to a psych hospital, he took me for a walk and he said, do not do this. If people know that you've been in a psych hospital, no one will ever trust you again and you will never be special again. It will ruin your ministry. And I remember saying to him, I'm not trying to save my ministry. I'm trying to save my life. But I think that we've learned so much more about um, the fact that it's, it's always been if if you have a brain tumor, you know, and you could show a scan, we can, we'll gather a prayer meeting in 10 minutes for you. But because mental illness doesn't show up in the more traditional ways that we tend to be skeptical about it, and we mix up our faith in a way that is very destructive to people. You know, we say to people that, you know, you should have more faith, you know, read this scripture. But you wouldn't say, you wouldn't walk up to somebody wearing glasses and say, where's your faith? 
you know, you wouldn't say to a child who'd just fallen out of a tree and broken their leg, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You would get help where help is needed. And I just think we need more education to understand that it's not a lack of spirituality. It's a lack of proper chemicals in our brain. 100%. Oh my gosh. And that is its own you know, whole conversation, right? <laughs> is there all these other factors that are involved in mental health that we've made this kind of metaphysical and solely spiritual yeah. place? Um, and so I'm so glad that I, I do believe that the church is and the world is progressing on this conversation just as we learn and mo learn more. Um, and I feel optimistic about it. You know, a lot yeah. of people ask me, like, do you have like hope for the church in this situation? I'm like, I absolutely do. Absolutely. I think a lot of people are well meaning, but maybe just don't totally understand and have yeah. those assumptions and they've cycled through. Um, but that being said, like you have been involved in ministry, like you said, you uh, were involved in the 300 club and um, kind of being the face of speaking and sharing the gospel and what have you um, while living in dissonance with this underlying struggle. And I think that there are a lot of people and certainly people who I know who are listening who have lived with a diagnosis or have an ongoing struggle with depression, anxiety, what have you. and it feels like it disqualifies them from mm -hmm. being able to show up for their lives or being able to show up maybe in a public way like you do. Um, what encouragement or words might you have after navigating your own experience for someone who's living with a diagnosis and maybe feels called to great things, but is like, I don't know how I could ever do that or I don't feel qualified to do that. Yeah, I think God has this, this beautiful way of, of using the least likely among us, you know, because I know that after my father's death, I walked in my sleep every night till I was about 18 years old. And I'm, the school psychologist said to my mom, you'll have to accept the fact that Sheila will never be quite normal again. You know, like we would always when the, have a brother and a sister. And whenever you reach 16 or 17, maybe in a Scottish school, you have an overseas trip. So my sister went to France. My brother went to Switzerland. I got a bite because I didn't want to leave the house because I thought there's something really wrong with me. But there's something about when you have your woundedness bathed in the grace of God and you realize it's never been about you getting it right. I mean, I remember after I'd been three weeks in the hospital, they, my doctor said, I'd like you to take a trip outside the hospital walls. You can go to a mall, a movie. I'll send a young nurse with you. And I said, no, I don't really want to do that. I, I just like to go to church. I don't care which denomination, if it's a Bible-believing church. And I remember sitting in the very back row thinking, where do I even go from here? I mean, I defined my whole worth to God through me doing good things and being the perfect Christian. And I remember the pastor saying at the end of the sermon, um, some of you in here feel as if you're dead inside. You can almost hear them begin to keep the earth on top of you. And he said, but I want you to know Jesus is here. And you don't have to get yourself out of that hole. You simply have to call on the name of the Lord and he will reach in and grab hold of you. And at the end of the service, when everyone else was leaving, I, I ran to the front of the church and I lay face down in front of the cross. And the organist started to play something. And I remember thinking, I know that. And I realized it was something my grandmother used to sing to me when I was a little girl. It was an old hymn called Walk of Ages. But it was these two lines that I remembered. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And I finally kind of got it, Brittany, that I'm not the good news. Mm -hmm. Jesus is. Right. And that we, if we come as we are, 
and we offer ourselves to him. It's his light that shines through the brokenness. Um, we, nobody else has the right to disqualify us because God is the one who calls us and he equips us. And honestly, sometimes the more you feel I'm not qualified means you're perfectly qualified. When we think we've got it all together and we've just got this huge message for the world, we probably need to take a nap. But yeah. I think, you know, <laughs> I think for anyone who's struggling with someone but has brought it to the Lord, because there needs to be a time of a period of healing. Yeah. You know, when it's an open wound, you don't want to go sharing with everyone. But over time and with the grace of God, it becomes a scar. And scars are proof that God heals and we can share our scars. Amen. Amen. And I love everything that you're saying about there is a time for healing, right? Because it's like we see maybe someone like you, right, who is doing these things, right? And someone just maybe wants to be on the other side of their struggle. Um, but you went through this really this real time of going going to the hospital, getting treatment, um, getting your footing again. Um, and that can be a process. I think you said it was two months mm. in the hospital. Um, and there are these seasons where it's like the only, sometimes your only purpose is to, to heal in that season, right. is to get healed. And um, I'm curious as to one, what were some of the signs and maybe symptoms that for you that it was something more, that it was possibly clinical depression or something of that sort? And two, what are some you know practical or actionable steps you took and might recommend to someone who is really struggling? And like you said, feeling that kind of deadness inside, um, but hasn't stepped in it because it just feels like this is my life this is how it's been this is just what i know um mm -hmm. i'd love to know what were some of the signs for you and what were some of those practical steps i honestly didn't even recognize i i don't think i'd ever heard of clinical depression honestly and certainly not anybody who was in any kind of leadership or ministry but um little things i can look back on now like i would go to the atm and i couldn't remember my pin number mm -hmm. or i would i couldn't eat or i couldn't sleep but more than anything it was this overwhelming sadness not like having a bad day or something hard has happened just this weight of sadness and not having any other tools at my disposal i actually took a little time off work and i fasted and prayed for 21 days and mm -hmm. i said lord if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you please show me please show me what to do and at the end of the 21 days there was no condemnation but there was no comfort either it felt as if heaven was silent. And sometimes that's the reality that we walk through. In fact, it's interesting to me that right in the middle of the book of Psalms, I think it's Psalm 86, because often with David, he would write, you know, where he'd talk about the things he's struggling with, but then he would kind of encourage his own soul and he would say, but I will again praise the Lord. Psalm 86 has none of that. It begins with a cry of despair and it ends that way because some seasons of life are like that. And I think, honestly, it was just God's way of saying, you need some help, and help is available. And, and for me, one of the most healing things was allowing other people into my life. I mean, I lived well-known and lonely. You know, I kept a wall around my life where I thought, you know, I just, you, you're not going to like what you see. And I think being able, I remember um, in, we had group sessions in the hospital and often we would go through some of the tougher stuff. But when it's time for me to leave, in the last session, our therapist said, guys, I want you to tell Sheila something that you like about her. 
I had the hardest time with that. I was so, you know, able to accept all the, you know, you seem to be in denial about this, or you're not really facing this. And it just, it showed the brokenness in me that true humility looks different than I think we think it looks. Being able to be honest about our brokenness, to to find a couple of safe people that we can talk to, but then to be able to receive from others. Because in Galatians, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And sometimes as Christian women, we think, I will carry your burden. Sometimes we have to allow other people into our life to carry our burden too. Yeah, that part. Yeah, so, so good. Um, And, you know, obviously like you're talking more about this now. And like you said earlier, you had uh, someone ask you like, have, you know, have you been fixed or do you feel fixed? And that's something that we talked a lot about is that sometimes we have these sustained things that we have to manage in our lives that aren't going to go away for good. I know that I personally have had those seasons in life where like maybe I've been really broken or I'm struggling with something or I've been struggling with something for a while. You go to a conference or a revival or what have you, and there's a lot of talk of, you know, you know, come to the altar and God is going to rid you of this thing. There's a lot of talk around finality. Um, and getting rid of things and being victorious. Um, And there's a lot of pressure around things being completely gone as a Christian. But Mm -hmm. with something like clinical depression and a lot of mental health uh, conditions, or really any health conditions that happen, like diabetes or what have you, sometimes these are ongoing. These are things that someone will have to manage for the rest of their lives, you know? And God still uses all of that. but you wrote about how you're still learning how to heal and how to be whole. And I would love to know what does that mean or look like to you that it's a continued journey. You're not showing up here and sharing this and you're like, oh yeah, like I'm free, I'm rid of it, I'm on the other side and here I am (laughs) talking to you about it. Like it's a continued journey and I really wanna pull that out. I think there's a, a temptation within the evangelical Christian community to want a quick fix, a miracle. To me, the greater miracle is to to keep walking a long obedience in the same direction, trusting Jesus. You know, I've heard those kind of, you know, come to the Lord and you'll just everything. And honestly, could can God do that? Absolutely. Right. God can do right. anything. But if you read scripture, that is really not usually God's way of working with his people. If you look at um, Joseph, you know, he's 17 years old and he knows that God's going to do great things through his life. But then his brothers try to kill him. He's trafficked into Egypt. He ends up in prison. So it's really, you know, it's almost like 20 years, this process of working out. And even if you take the Apostle Paul, you know, we're not exactly sure what his thorn in the flesh was. I mean, some people think it was blindness. There's all sorts of different ideas. But Paul, I mean, it says when you look at the actual Greek of the text, Paul begged God three times. It wasn't just a quick, Lord, if it be your will, he begged God to take it away. And the answer was no. You know, my grace is made perfect in your weakness. But I think that's something that has been very healing for me is accepting the fact that I'm on this, I'm on this journey home. And and I know that that Christ is with me. I have the wonderful companionship of the Holy Spirit. Um, I have a father who loves me. In fact, 
before I went off to seminary, I had a month um, back home in my little fishing town in Scotland where I could volunteer to do something. So I decided to volunteer at our senior center. And, and I loved it, but there was one gentleman that I could never get through to. He wouldn't come to the tables and join the others for lunch. And I would always have to take his lunch to him in a tray. So one day I thought, I'm just going to try harder. So I sat beside him and I said, hello, my name's Sheila and I'm from this town. But one day I'm going to go to America. And his face lit up like he had just won the lottery. And he said, I'm from America. And from that moment, we became like the best of friends. And every single day when I would walk through those doors into the senior center, no matter what was going on or who else was talking, George would cry out, she came. <sighs> and I would just encourage everyone listening, you know, just get a chair, stick it in the center of your room and just sit there and hear God call over you. She came. He came. The Lord longs for our for us to process our pain in his presence. You know, so often we think, well, you know, I'm in a terrible place right now. And once I'm better, then I'll come back to you. But I think Jesus showed for us, how do you pray when it's hardest to pray? He modeled that in the garden. I mean, three times he prayed. He was in an olive garden surrounded by olives, which are pressed three times to get every drop of oil out. And Christ was squeezed till every drop of grief and pain. But because he poured out his pain in the presence of his father, he made space for grace. Mm -hmm. So I would just say to anyone listening, tell God the whole truth, not what you wish was true. Tell God the whole truth and let him love you. Amen. Amen. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for, um, for everything that you shared, but also for having this conversation for opening up this conversation as you you've been integrating faith and mental health so well you know obviously with your experience um and just being willing to share all of that <clears throat> excuse me <laughs> um, for those who are listening how can they stay connected to the work that you're doing where can they grab the book i really want to encourage you guys to really just soak in everything that's been said and i'm sure there's so much more that you expound upon and holding on when you want to let go. Um, how can we stay connected with you? On my website, SheilaWalsh.com, there's all sorts of resources there. And um, on, on Facebook, I'm Sheila Walsh Connects. And on Instagram, I'm Sheila Walsh One. I'm not sure when this show will air, but if people go to, my, go to Amazon and buy the book and then come to my website, they will get the free audio book and another free ebook of mine and lots of other little video clips as well. Oh, how wonderful. And we will link all of that in the show notes so you guys can check that out. Thank you so much for your time, Sheila. Thank you guys so much for sharing your time with us. Uh, until next time. <laughs>